when we attended uh, our first wedding in Illinois, this would have been like 2012 or 2013, um, I didn't really know what to wear. I showed up uh, with what I would show up. We're from Wisconsin, so I showed up wearing what I would have worn to a Wisconsin wedding, which was, you know, like I had, I had nice pants on and a button-up shirt, and then I had a sweater over it, and I showed up to discover that everyone was wearing suits. I was the only, the only guy not wearing a suit, and it's like, whoa, I guess things are, you know, really high class in Illinois. They dress a little different, and now Katie knows where, I might, where I'm going with this. Uh, no, 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 you know, who knows? But anyway, I, I need to tell you that Katie's not in a bad way. She's very often right, because she's, you know, wiser and smarter than me and all that stuff. But this one occasion, a couple weeks ago, we were going to a funeral uh, for her grandpa, and I was like, I'm gonna, I think I should wear, you know, like a, a, a you know, sport coat and stuff. And she was like, none of my uncle's gonna be wearing one. My dad's not gonna be wearing one. I was like, I don't know. They're all Lutheran. And I think, I think they're gonna all be probably wearing suits. And I was like, your dad's definitely gonna bust out a suit. And she's like, you know, I'm not telling you not to, you know, you kind of do you. And I was like, fine, that's what I'm gonna wear. That's what I'm comfortable with. And I showed up, everyone had suits on. And she was like, I couldn't have been more wrong. And so, of course, I had to keep asking her, you know, because you know, she's usually right. I had to keep bringing up, oh, you, was, how's, you were so wrong in that. You know, I got that so right. Like, I just, so I kind of, like, basked in that. Uh, but, you know, if we show up with, you know, what we wearing, something that maybe isn't appropriate for the occasion, we kind of all of a sudden feel this, like, this insecurity. I don't really fit in. I don't really belong here. And I, I don't know if this is totally true, but I heard someone once say, that the number one reason people visit church websites before they attend on a Sunday is to find out what to wear. <laughs> that if it's like, is this casual? How, you know, how dressed up do I need to be? And so like wearing stuff like kind of helps us feel like, okay, I like matched up with what I'm supposed to have in this instance. Um, there's this show um, called This Is Us. I think it ended, but um, I hadn't watched it. And so I, we, I was watching, we've been watching a few episodes um, on Netflix and in one of the episodes, there's a character named Kate um, who's having weight problems, and she goes to this group with other people having weight problems. And you know, everyone kind of you know similar has weight problems, but there's this one girl there who's like skinny, and you kind of look at her like, "What are you doing here? You don't belong." And you know, she's sharing, "I'm like insecure about my weight." And there's this one episode where Kate just kind of lashes out at her like, "What are you doing here? Like, you don't have anything wrong with you, but it's like you aren't, you know." overweight enough to be in this in this group and I'm just bringing that up because there's just many occasions where we kind of measure if we're enough am I dressed up enough in that occasion with Kate and that that uh, people dealing with weight loss it's like you aren't you don't weigh enough to be in this or it might be like you know to buy alcohol you need to be old enough to have Medicaid you need to be poor enough to go to college you need to be smart enough to have a mortgage you need to be rich enough have enough money to be invited to lunch you need to be liked and popular enough. Maybe there's people that go out every week and they just they don't invite certain people. You need to be liked enough. To be promoted, we need to work hard enough or to brown nose enough, whichever one you want, or maybe a little mix. But we have this deep desire to belong, to be accepted, to, to fit in. And often how we feel if we fit in is like, did I do this thing enough? Do I fit in this place? Am I allowed in? Um, can I do this thing? Am I accepted? Am I welcome? Do I have access? And if we know that, we have enough of whatever it is, we can have this sense of confidence. I showed up at this wedding, and I'm dressed up enough, I don't feel out of place, like belong. People aren't looking at me, wondering. In the series we're in, uh, in the Gospel according to Luke, called To Seek and to Save, 
Next week we're actually going to get to the passage where Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus says is his purpose. That's what we name this, this series uh, after, what Jesus says. But his invitation is to follow me, follow Jesus, into the good life, into the blessed life, into life as it's meant to be, into the life you were made for. And Jesus you know, redefines all along what that means. We have to get his definition of what the good life is, of what uh, the life we were made for is. His definition, uh, we're often out of sync with it. And another way he says it is, I'm telling people about the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. This is life as it's meant to be, uh, life we were, uh, you were made for. And he keeps showing that it's coming through him. And Luke, when he's writing this gospel, uh, we're going to be in chapter uh, 18 today, verse 9. And that's on page, um, let me check the bulletin, it's on page 876 if you're using one of the black Bibles back there. So it's Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Uh, but Luke in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, tells us his purpose. He says, I'm writing to give you certainty about the things that you've been taught. And so he's writing to Christians, uh, to people who love God, and he's saying, I want you to have certainty about the things that you have been taught. And if you think about certainty, if we're certain, like this thing I was taught is right, it's good, it's accurate, they can give us this confidence, like we can kind of build our life on it, that we, we know we're certain, so we have confidence. And today the question we're answering is, how can I be confident I belong in God's kingdom? How can I be confident that the good life that Jesus was talking about belongs to me? How can I be confident that I'm accepted by God, that I will receive the kingdom, that I'll inherit eternal life, that I'll have treasure in heaven, that I'll enter the kingdom, that I'll be saved, and these are all terms that are going to be used in these like 20 verses that we're looking over today. Just these synonyms for the good life or the kingdom of God or you know, eternal life or being accepted or justified. All these are going to be uh, synonyms for today's passage, really talking about the good life. You might wonder, well, why these people are Christians. Why did they need certainty about what they have been taught? Why did Luke need to write to them to give them the certainty? Well, it's easy for us to look at ourselves and doubt. Am I enough? Like, Jesus says this good life belongs to people, but have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Do I have enough, do I have enough faith? And we can look at ourselves in doubt and be uncertain and to lack confidence. Or we can look around us and see, man, it seems like some people are getting along in life better than me. Maybe I don't really have the good life. And, you know, things are hard for me. Like, I'm still poor. I'm still, I'm being mistreated for my trust in Jesus. So you can wonder, well, maybe I missed it. And so he's writing to give certainty and to give confidence from that certainty. And so Jesus' teachings all along give confidence in this passage about to whom the kingdom belongs. Who is going to have the good life, the blessed life that Jesus talks about? And what we're going to see this morning is three uncertain foundations uh, for that confidence. That these are three things to not look at to give you confidence. And there, it's this, what I do, what others think, and what I have. These are three uncertain foundations for confidence that we are going to have a good life. What I do, what others think, and what I have. And we're going to start in with what I do in chapter 18 of Luke, starting in verse 9 and going to verse 14. Let me just read this for you. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus, he doesn't always do this, but uh, we're told, Jesus told this parable for this reason. It says, there are some people trusting in themselves uh, that they were righteous, and they're treating other people with contempt. And so you can notice that their feeling of self-righteousness, that's kind of like the root issue they have in their life, comes out with the fruit of contempt, looking down on others, thinking they're better than others. So they feel self-righteous, and what is growing in their life is contempt. And it says that uh, this, the issue here is who's going to be justified. And that, you know, is, is a Bible word. We use it in real life. Like, oh, I'm going to justify that statement. Or, oh, he justified why he did that or said that. But to justify is, is, like, is a legal term in the Bible, which means to declare somebody righteous. And so it's said he's, they're trusting in themselves that they're righteous. And then Jesus is saying, well, let's have this scenario. Who's going to walk away justified, declared righteous? Another way we can think of it is who's going to be accepted by God, that God's going to accept that person rather than reject them. And it's the opposite of what you expect, uh, because how the Pharisee approaches God, and Pharisees were um, religious leaders in that time, they had the, you know, the Old Testament, like the first five books of the Bible memorized. These guys are like top-notch. I don't have the, I, does anybody here have the five, first five books of the Bible memorized? No, like that commitment that they're giving themselves to studying and teaching God's Word, helping people obey it. And so you're thinking, well, if anybody's going to be justified, accepted by God in this situation, it's going to be this Pharisee. What we find is that he comes and he shows all his goodness. Here's all the things I've done. And God, thank you, I'm not like those people that he's assuming won't be justified. And then this tax collector approaches uh, God in a very different way. And tax collectors, you might be, I mean, think about the IRS. It's not like uh, somebody at a party uh, and you're like, what do you do for your job? I work for the IRS. Everyone's going to be a little, Ugh, that's a... <laughs> it's kind of like the people you don't like. But tax collectors, uh, sorry if one of you works for the IRS. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, we, we accept everyone here. This is, you know, God accepts everyone, we do. But anyway, tax collectors were like even worse because uh, tax collectors were um, typically Jewish people. They're currently under Roman occupation. And tax collectors were Jewish people who decided, you know what? I'm going to work for Rome because I'm going to get paid well, and I'm going to pay, get paid well by taking taxes from my own people. Rome has conquered the Israel, and now it's somebody who's an Israelite saying, you know what, I'll work for Rome, and I'll make money off my own people. And often they would take a little more than what they're supposed to. They have their own cut. And so tax collectors, if you're you know, thinking tax collectors, like this person is like, the worst. If somebody, if God's not going to accept somebody, it's going to be this guy. He's betrayed his country, betrayed his people. He's going and mingling with the, these Gentile pagans, not with his own people. And often they had to kind of be separated. If you've watched um, uh, the show The Chosen right now, there's a uh, Matthew, uh, the tax collector, very accurate a depiction of what it would have been like to be a tax collector then. But he approaches God based on God's mercy. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee approached God based on his own goodness. And then who is justified? Well, the tax collector was. He was accepted by God. Why? Because then we're told, because the humble will be exalted, and the exalted will be humbled. The, the tax collector approached God humbly. The Pharisee attacks, uh, approached God exalting himself. So we can ask the question, on what basis should God accept me? 
And if we try to put our confidence in what we've done, that's called self-righteousness. And it's like, am I good enough? Have I done enough? And you might have even think, like, this guy going up to pray, the Pharisee, if anybody's going to be accepted by God, it's going to be him. You know, this is like the pastors of the day. This guy's always thinking about God, always talking about God, always reading God's Word. If anybody's going to be accepted, it's going to be him. But we're surprised by, no, he was the one that wasn't accepted by God, but the tax collector was. And so we might wonder, question for you is, what have I done for God to accept me? Or you might think, no, God can't accept me today or this week. I've got to kind of get things together, get myself cleaned up. What have you done that you think makes you deserving or worthy of God's acceptance, that uh, you've earned it in some ways, that I have a right to be accepted? Or maybe you're here today thinking, I, I know I'm not accepted by God. And we have to ask, well, what, on what basis are we saying that, either that we're accepted or unaccepted? And many of us would maybe say at the end of our lives, if we ask somebody, hey, well, you know, when you die, are you going to go to heaven? And a lot of people would probably say, well, I hope so. I hope I've done enough. And Jesus is saying, if that's the way we're going, look, basing our acceptance on what we've done, we're going to walk away from God not accepted. But if we come just based on his mercy, then we are accepted. And so it's an uncertain foundation what we do. Secondly, another uncertain foundation is what others think. And this is uh, in 18, chapter, Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. So this is, you know, this is, all these conversations are linked together. Uh, so he just told this parable to people who are trusting themselves that they're righteous, and now something else happens. Verse 15. Now they are bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. And so infants in that day, there's a very high mortality rate. And so you under, would understand why Jesus is healing people. Some sort of blessing and power comes out of them when he's touching people. Let's get our infant over there uh, who very possibly is going to die, whether they're sick or not, and let's get Jesus to touch this infant, and then hopefully they'll survive. But what happens is the disciples rebuke them, saying, you know, get out of here. But Jesus then calls his disciples in, and he says, let them come to me. Don't hinder them. Why? He says, because to such belongs the kingdom of God. And if you don't receive the kingdom like a child, you shall not enter it. Now, there's two ways to understand that receiving. So the one is receive the kingdom like a child. And we can ask, okay, what, what is it like to be a child? Um, children are very dependent, very needy. Uh, sometimes to the consternation of their parents that they are just like, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. And it's like, ah, I just want you to be able to do this on your own. But children are very needy. And typically, if they're in a you know, safe relationship, they're not afraid to express those needs, to ask for their needs to be met. Uh, and children tend to be very trusting. Uh, so they're trusting and they're dependent. So it could be Jesus teaching to relate to God as a loving father, that you have this attachment with him like you would have to a father figure, uh, to a parent, that you, he's your secure base that you ex go out to explore the world from. He's your safe haven that you come back to when things are not going well, when you're scared, when you get hurt, you come to him for comfort. And so, Jesus could be teaching, I want you to, if you, unless you receive the kingdom like a child, like this relationship of dependent trust on God, you cannot enter it. Or he could be saying, receive the kingdom as you receive a child. And in that society, uh, men were the most important. And they're you know, looked up to and honored and often children 
uh, and women, and especially slaves, were seen as kind of like a lower class in a way. And Jesus is saying, no, I welcome people, no matter their status or the value that the world assigns to them. He's the most important person, but there's no unimportant people to him. No one is beneath him, and no one is not worth his time. And it could be one of those two things. Actually, it could just be a mix of the two, because both of them very much fix, uh, fit with what, how Jesus talks about the kingdom. And so we can ask again, on what basis do you have access to Jesus? That there's these children that they want to have access, and the disciples say no. And really, the disciples, if you think about it, these are men, uh, the ones who are rebuking the kids, and they're saying, I'm important enough to have access to Jesus, and you are not, so please go away. And Jesus is saying, no, no one is unimportant to me, that if they want to come to me, they can come to me. So we can wonder, am I important enough or liked enough for Jesus to care? And you would maybe think, you know, maybe there's people that you think of that are kind of important. If like, if anybody's in the kingdom, it's them. That's an important person. They've done so much for God. People look up to them and all these things. Like they're an important person. If anyone's in, uh, it's got to be them. Or perhaps you, you're feeling important, like God kind of owes you. And Jesus says, that's not going to get you in. Like, you need to come like this little child. And I will, we need to receive little children like I'm receiving you because we need to, I value people not based on their worldly importance, but based on uh, my mercy and love. And so if you feel unimportant this morning, you're important to Jesus. And nobody is a nobody to Jesus that he welcomes. Even children that were just looked down on, it's lower status, lower class. So two uncertain foundations. First, what I do. Second, uh, what others think. Lastly, what I have. Uncertain foundation for thinking we have the good life. This is in verses, uh, verse 18, uh, uh, chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. So we're told, you know, this is just after this children thing. It says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so this rich ruler, uh, somebody probably a wealthy, important citizen of the town, uh, in other, uh, other Gospels, like Matthew 19.20, we're told he was wealthy. He's probably some civic leader. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is the question uh, that I saw as what, was, what all these pastors, these three pastors were going through, were answering. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus then responds to him. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And so Jesus kind of pushes back. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, I'm not good. He says, well, who's good but God alone, which leaves him thinking. And he's really refusing to play this game that is happening. Hey, good teacher. It's almost like he's ingratiating himself to him. Like, I'm going to commend you, and like, then you're going to kind of commend me back. Like, good teacher, I'm coming to you in this way. And then now, you know, that hopefully Jesus will respond in kind. But he's like, I'm not going to play that game. And he questions the man's assumptions. Like, who is good? Uh, Psalm 14.1, no one is good, no one is righteous. Isaiah 53, all of us have gone astray. So he's saying, you're calling me a good teacher, but don't you know the scriptures? No one is good, that we've all gone astray. And so then Jesus lists off some of the commandments. These are from the, the Ten Commandments. And then the guy responds, verse 21, and he said, all these I have kept for my youth. I've done it, so I'm good to go, right? Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, let's, you know, I don't know if you should call me good teacher, but here's what you want to do if you want to do it. I've done it. Check. You know, I'm done in eternal life. And then verse 22 says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, 
one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come. Follow me. And in Mark, when this story is told in the Gospel according to Mark 10.21, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Which means what he is about to say is said out of love. Not to be mean. What he says to this guy is said out of love. And basically he tells him, well, you haven't done enough. <laughs> I've kept all those commandments. And he's like, okay, there's one more thing you lack. If you can do this, then you've done enough and you can inherit the kingdom of God. And that might sound a little surprising because didn't we just hear a parable where the tax collector approached God not based on his own goodness, but based on God's mercy and then God accepted him? Now is Jesus like going back on that? Well, you know, that was for that guy, but you, you need to do enough. You need, if you want to inherit the kingdom, you've got to be good enough. And so what's, What's happening here? Why is it two different answers? Jesus was asked earlier in uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, exact same question. How, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he tells the guy, well, you know the law. Um, you know God's word in the Old Testament. Like, well, how do you read it? Well, he says, well, you know, the two greatest commandments are love God above all else, with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and also love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, good, go do that, and you will inherit eternal life. Uh, and then the guy goes on, and Jesus tells a story about, because he's like, well, who is my neighbor technically? He wants to exclude some people. But Jesus, basically, it's love God, love your neighbor. That, that's how you inherit eternal life. And, but he gives a little different answer here. He gives the Ten Commandments, some, some of the Ten Commandments. So which is it, loving God or these Ten Commandments? Which one is it? Well, the Ten Commandments, the ones that Jesus listed off, uh, come from the second half of them. That the first four of the Ten Commandments are about loving God, and then the next six are about loving people. So Jesus lists off the ones that were about loving people. And he's like, okay, let me tick some of these off and see if you've done them. And he says, yeah, I've done them. But commandment number one is God saying, you shall have no other gods before me. And so Jesus has established, this guy looks good on the outside. He's keeping these external commandments, but he's putting his finger on a heart issue on a trust issue, a love issue, a, a, a worship issue, that in worship really comes to the word uh, worth-ship. What is of ultimate worth to you? And Jesus is putting his finger on a worship issue that this guy has. Is it going to be God or money? Yes, you're keeping all those commandments, how you're treating people, but really your heart, your God, your Savior, your Lord, your Master, is your money, your possessions. And we just saw last week how Jesus said, uh, you can only serve one or the other, God or money, um, which is going to be. Only one can be your God. And so he offers this trade. Well, you have all this treasure on earth. Make you a trade. You get rid of all that, and you're going to have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. And if you think about it, that's really like a really bold statement. Instead of saying, uh, well, you know the law. This is how you get eternal life. And so you're doing those things. Okay, good. But Jesus adds another law. If you want to inherit eternal life, sell all that. And you come and follow me. That if you want to get into the good life, inherit the eternal life, have the blessed life, life is meant to be, you need to follow me. It's like, wait, that's nowhere. That's not anywhere in the Old Testament. But Jesus is putting himself, like, getting new laws because he is the Son of God telling him, if you want that, you've got to follow me. We're told in verse 23, but when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. And then Jesus gives a little more teaching, verses 24 through 25. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is 
impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And so he says, it's difficult for a rich person to get in. Why? Well, if you think about people have money, which uh, is most people in the United States, that we would be considered in the rich category of what Jesus talks about here, uh, that when we have money, we tend to trust in what we do, what others think, and what we have. What have I done? I've earned this money. I've worked hard for it. I know what I'm doing. I got this. And what other people think of me is that they see me as someone who's a good contributing member of society or whatever it is. I feel important because I have a house, I have a car, I have my money, I have my job. And then what do I have? I feel very self-sufficient, like there's no issue that I can, you know, I've got my insurance, I've got my savings. Like if anything comes up, I've got it covered. People who have money are very self-sufficient, like this guy. And we may think to ourselves, well, I've worked, I, I do some good, I've kept the rules, I have a comfortable life. And what happens is why Jesus says a rich person is hard for them to enter the kingdom is because often somebody who has money needs to be convinced that they need someone else. It's like, I'm self-sufficient. Why do I need somebody else? And Jesus says those people who are like tax collectors, the poor, why are they coming to the kingdom? Why are children and these people hurting coming to the kingdom? Because they've already been convinced that I don't have what it takes. That what have I done? I've messed up my life. What do others think of me? They look down on me. What do I have? I have nothing. And so a person who has nothing, doesn't have all those things to rely on and feel self-sufficient, is more ready to hear the good news that, listen, you can enter in, not based on what you do, what others think, or what you have, just based on God's mercy. But when we have money and resources, we're just one step further away from what we need. And I often tell people, if I meet with somebody, and they're just like, I don't know why God would like me, God loves me. I've done so many things. I say, you are in such a good position to experience the love of God. Because when we're saying, I am unworthy, then we're in a position to receive mercy. Instead of needing to be convinced that I'm not good enough, that God won't accept me based on my goodness or what other people think, what I have. What does God think of me? When he looks at me, well, he likes what I do. And so he, what does he think about me? He says, I've been a good person. What do I have? He's blessed me with all this stuff. And so why do I need to change my life? Like, I'm good. And they ask, who can be saved? They're like, if the rich guy can't be saved, how can we be saved? He gives so much money to the poor. He helps run the synagogue. He's you know, giving stuff in the offering plate. Like, if anybody's going to be saved, it's going to be him. And then Jesus says, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom. This good moral person. Read the book of Proverbs. If you're good and you work hard, God will bless you. This guy, he's been living the book of Proverbs. Why? Who, if somebody's going to be let in, it's got to be him. But we can often feel very confident when our life is together. And Jesus says, you know, it's impossible for you or him to enter the kingdom apart from God. Only he can get you in. It's not up to you. And then he says, uh, we give a pretty great exchange rate uh, around here. You don't get in by what we have. You don't get in by what you had and gave up. Because the disciples are like, well, look what we gave up. Like, <laughs> look, we've given it up. And he's like, you don't get in by what you had either that you gave up. You get in by God. That's what makes it possible. Jesus is the one who gets us in. And they, he says, if those who have given up, like you're going to get ten times more. It's like this exchange rate. It's like we have, you know, whatever we give up is high inflation or whatever. Actually, I don't know how that works. But, you know, it's like we get bet more back when we give in. And so, for yourself, on what basis should you inherit eternal life? Do you have confidence in what you have? It might not even be possessions. It could be job, spouse, 
or kids, the things you have is like, yeah, I've, I've like got the good life. And we can feel self-sufficient. A good moral person should get in, have it together. I have enough. I've given enough. I've done well for myself. And Jesus says, no, that's not what it's based on. So we think how to make this more personal. A couple years ago, I can't remember, it was a vacation we went on, and I had this little Leatherman tool, you know, one of those things that has like, you fold it up, but then you fold it out, and it's got the little snips, it's got a knife, it's got this cool stuff I'd gotten it for Christmas. And I forgot it in my bag that I was bringing into the plane with me when we were at the airport. And so, you know, it goes through, it gets scanned, and they're like, yep, you got it. <laughs> what, what do you want me to do with this sort of way? It's like, well, I, I guess. But I had a choice there of, am I going to keep my Leatherman by staying off the plane, or am I going to let go of the Leatherman so that I can get on this plane and go on my vacation. I couldn't keep it and go on vacation. I had a choice to make one or the other. They weren't going to let me on with it, and so I had to make a choice. And so Jesus gives a choice to people. The kingdom is free. You know, like it's this, you know, you're going to go on an all-expense-paid cruise, and it's free, anybody can walk in, and, but you have to leave everything behind that you think gives you a right to get onto this cruise what you do, if you think that's the basis you can get on, what others think of you, if they, you think that's the basis you can get on, what, what you have, if you think that's the basis, he says, you cannot bring that with you. And so if you want to hold on to that, you can, but you can't get on this plane, this cruise ship or whatever. But if you will let go of it, like you can walk through fine. It's free for everybody. All those things that we think give us a right to the kingdom, deserving, worthy of heaven or eternal life or being saved, they don't work. Anything you think pays your way, you have to let go of. Anything you think that makes God owe you, you can't bring with you. So just a couple questions. Is there anything you're unwilling to give up? Is there anything you're unwilling to give up? You're willing to lay down everything you've done. You're willing to give up what others think of you, your reputation. Are you willing to sell all you have for the kingdom? And now maybe you're thinking, this guy had to sell everything we ha he has? Is that what I have to do? Jesus doesn't say this to everybody. But if you're relieved, oh, I can keep all my stuff and still have the kingdom, he might be saying it to you. Because if you're th that's more valuable to you than the kingdom, like he puts his finger on this guy and says, you have a heart issue. You say you want to inherit eternal life, but you really have something more important to you than God and inheriting eternal life. And it's that thing. And so you're willing to give up God and eternal life in order to keep all your stuff. Are we ready to count everything else as garbage in comparison to knowing Jesus? And the Apostle Paul, he was a Pharisee. He was a guy who had it all. What have I done? I've been trained by one of the best. I'm a religious leader. Uh, what do others think of me? They see me as a religious leader. They look up to me. They think, this guy has it together. What do I have? I have respect. I have a good living. I have all these things. And the Apostle Paul, he was murdering Christians. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and he meets Jesus, and he says, I'm willing to get rid of all of it. I count it all as garbage that I'm going to get rid of my reputation. You know, I had it all. I'm willing to get rid of all of it. It's all junk in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And so, I'm getting my phone on because I have a quote on, in here I want to read. Not just text. Hey, I just got a text. Can you guys <laughs> just hold on for a second? Words with friends or something. Words with friends. Oh, somebody just, uh, yeah, oh no, is this going to, uh, maybe this isn't going to work. 
Okay, I'll do it somewhat from memory. There's a guy named C.S. Lewis <clears throat> who was a, he was British. He wrote a lot about following Jesus. He wasn't a believer from early on in life. He became a believer through J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. So I, I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings. But so C.S. Lewis, he writes, uh, talks about how, of course, Jesus has these commands. Deny yourself. Sell all you have. Take up your cross. Be willing to suffer. Be persecuted. Be rejected. All those things. And we might get the sense that, well, Jesus kind of just wants us to give up everything fun and everything that we want so that we can follow him. Is that what it means? And he says, no, 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 that Jesus talks a lot about giving abundant life, of giving you the good life, the blessed life, life as it's meant to be. And so it's not about whether we're getting what we want, but it's that we've settled for things lesser. And he says, uh, it's not that our desires are too strong and we need to you know, submit them to Jesus. It's that they're too weak. That he says we're fooling about with drink and sex and money. He says we don't understand that there's this, it's like we're playing in a mud puddle. And we're like, this is great. And then somebody, he says, offers you uh, a vacation by the sea. And then we say, no, I'd rather keep playing with the mud puddle. He's saying, no, I mean, Jesus doesn't find our desires too strong but too weak that we've settled for the mud puddle when we could have this vacation by the ocean, by the sea. And Jesus says, people are going to give really lame excuses for not boarding the plane, for not getting on the cruise. He has an example back earlier in Mark. Some people, he's like, here's the kingdom. Everyone's being invited to the party. One person says, I just got a feel. Like, I, I, just, I just bought a feel. I got to go check it out. Another person says, I just bought a couple oxen. I got to go take a look at them. Sorry, I can't come to the party. Another person says, I've just gotten married. And so, you know, I, I just need to coop up with my wife for a little bit. And he says, people are going to give very lame excuses. And it's not, he doesn't say people... Uh, he does say this sometimes, but he doesn't say everyone's going to be too busy doing evil stuff to be interested in the kingdom. He says people are going to be too busy with just the normal cares of life, and then the cruise ship is going to leave without them. What I find so challenging about passages like this is this guy comes up and asks Jesus a question, and Jesus gives him an answer. He says, follow me, and then he walks away sad and doesn't follow Jesus, and then Jesus moved on. But what we can do nowadays is because Jesus isn't physically standing here, is that he gives us invitations through the Bible, through other people, um, through church services, and then we can be like, no, I'm good, I'm not going to do that. But then we still call ourselves Christians. But the reality is, would we actually be walking G watching Jesus walk away from us if he was in this situation? This guy said, no, I'm good. But then Jesus moved on. But we can convince ourselves that we are following him, even if we aren't. And the question is, well, how can we get it for free? Why don't we have to do anything? It's because Jesus gave up everything he's giving us. That he gave up what he had done to take what we've done. That he gave up what heaven thought of him to take on what the world would think of him. That he gave up the riches of heaven that he had to take on our poorness. And so Jesus offers a trade. It's an exchange. He says, you give me what you have, and I'll give you what I have. And it's like you have this old beater car that's like held together with duct tape and zip ties. And Jesus is like, I'll give you a brand new model, whatever you want. You just have to give me that junky thing, and I'll drive that around, and you can drive the car that I have. And Jesus offers us this exchange, and what we have to do is get rid of the junky thing, not settle for that, for what that we're holding on to. And we tend to want to base our acceptance, our entrance, and our inheritance on ourselves, but to make the trade, we have to realize it's impossible. All these things, what I do, what others think, what I have, cannot get me in. I have to let go of that, and then I will be in. 
We've been talking about becoming a campfire of God's love this year. I want to invite the lost to pull up a chair and warm themselves by the fire of God's love for them. And this passage tells us that we're to be a community not based on what other people have done with no comparison, no competition. We're going to be a community that isn't all about what others think of us, that there's no self-importance, there's no exclusion, there's no in-groups, there's no cliques. It would be a community where we don't rely on what we have, that each person here knows we have no right to be in the kingdom. It's a place, the church should be a place where our belonging and our acceptance are not based on whether we are enough, on our enoughness, but that Jesus has done it for us, that he gave up everything we want so that he would give it to us. Let's pray. God, we want to be kingdom people. And we so often settle. Would you help us to not settle for less this week or with our lives? In your son's name we pray. Amen.